You are listening to Rue, a podcast of global Confucianism. Join us as Dr. Ben Song explores the riches of the Rue tradition and its intellectual, philosophical, and spiritual heritage. Dr. Song is a scholar of Ruism, more commonly known as Confucianism, as well as comparative philosophy, religion, and theology. He currently serves Washington College as an assistant professor of philosophy and religion. Here is Dr. Song with today's program. Hello, this is Dr. Bing Song in the course of Ru and Confucianism at Washington College. The first unit of our course starts from explaining a key concept of Ruist philosophy, Li, normally translated as ritual or ritual propriety, and its significance for us to understand the name of the tradition, Ru. If we look into some earlier forms of the character Ru, it looks like a utensil holding jade or other rarities. Quite visibly, the origin of the term Li pertains to religious ceremonies by which people follow customers and utilize the facilities to express their pious feelings towards ancestors and other deities. Therefore, the normal translation of Li, ritual or ritual propriety, is quite literal. However, in the Ru school, the school that almost single-handedly took charge of inheriting, perfecting, and philosophizing ancient rituals in the context of ancient China, the meaning of Li greatly expands and becomes a unique, hardly translatable concept and perspective to ponder the overall nature of human civilization. Let's read how the classic of rites describes this broad significance of Li. Quote, the course of the way, human excellence, benevolence, and righteousness cannot be fully carried out without the rules of ritual propriety, nor are training and oral lessons for the rectification of manners complete, nor can the clearing up of quarrels and discriminating in disputes be accomplished, nor can the duties between ruler and minister, high and low, father and son, elder brother and younger be determined. Nor can students for office and other learners in serving their teachers have an attachment for them. Nor can majesty and dignity be shown in assigning the different places at the court, in the government of the armies, and in discharging the duties of office so as to secure the operation of the laws. Nor can there be the proper sincerity and gravity in presenting the offerings to spiritual beings on occasions of supplication, thanksgiving, and the various sacrifices. Therefore, an exemplary human is respectful and reverent, assiduous in their duties and not going beyond them, retiring and yearly, thus illustrating the principle of ritual propriety. Here. Any rule or convention that can lead to the reordering of an aspect of human civilization, such as individual moral self-cultivation, varying human interactions, education, the execution of law, the establishment of political institutions, leadership in army, 
courts and other governmental offices, etc., can all be called Li. In my frank opinion, there is really no singular English word which can capture this broad implication of Li. Trying the best that I can, I would like to say Li is any civilizational convention. The philosophical reason why the Ru school came up with this concept to designate the essential nature of human beings is understandable. Once having evolved with a capacity of using science, symbols, and languages to interact with the world, the relationship of humans to humans and the one between humans and the nature are always mediated. In other words, humans interact with the realm of uncarved realities the nature through our interpretations of the meanings of these realities to us, and using a Ruist term, these human interpretations are constructed by our use of varying Li. For instance, our mind reads people's smiles in different ways, depending upon the culture and societal environment we live in. And furthermore, we also interact with these smiles using postures and expressions fit for our purpose. Natural impulses such as those raw emotions of wonder, joy, or anger may play a certain role during this interaction, but they are all embedded in a much more complicated cognitive and emotional process mediated by our interpretations of the meanings of the world. And stood in this perspective, Every means to mediate the relationships between humans and between humans and nature in a uniquely human way can all be called Li. Therefore, my translation of it, Civilizational Convention. In the Analex, the book that furnishes the most authentic record of Confucius' deeds and sayings, there are plenty of scenarios where Confucius either talked of or actually performed the ritual or ritual propriety in the analyzed sense of civilizational conventions. He cared about any knowledge about the sacrificial rituals in temples. He talked of why people in his time needed to mourn for three years after their parents' death and other related topics, such as how to conduct human relationships, what are the best qualities of a state leader, what music is the most appropriate for a certain social occasion, and even how to stand, walk, speak, look, eat, etc. In fact, one of the Confucius' self-suggested mission is that because the system of ancient rituals in his time were collapsing and music was decaying, so that he would try his best to learn, discover, and even redesign the best rituals fit for his time. And then he would teach and propagate these ideal rituals so as to recover social order and lay a solid foundation for the sustainable development of civilization. He called the entire body of these ancient rituals as a civilization, Wen, and was quite confident to assert that the destiny of this civilization is on his shoulder. In extreme difficult situations, such as when he almost got murdered by political opponents during his exile, he relied upon this deep sense of mission and responsibility to strengthen his will of life and eventually survive the distress. However, 
A legitimate question for us to understand Confucius' mission is that since he was a learner and advocate of ancient rituals, where were these ancient rituals come from? If he was the most respected teacher in the Ru tradition, who has built the first private school to pass on ancient civilization to later generations, whom did he learn from? In the past several units of this course, we discussed Yao and Shun, these ancient sage kings who had accomplished great deeds for Confucius to admire. But they lived thousands of years before Confucius, and Confucius' admiration of them cannot be converted into solid knowledge of their times. So just like Americans who quite often invoke their founding fathers to make their contemporary moral and political cases, Confucius looked into the founding fathers of the dynasty he lived in, the Zhou dynasty, which had already endured about 500 years before Confucius. Among all these founding fathers of Zhou dynasty, one finger, the Duke of Zhou, whose name is Dan, stands prominently, and he turned out to be the most impactful finger on Confucius' learning and teaching. Let's read several sayings in the Analects to understand this lineage of wisdom that Confucius tried to continue. Gong Sun Chao Owei asked Zigong, saying, From whom did Zhongni, Confucius, get his learning? Zigong replied, The way of Wen and Wu has not fallen to the ground. It is still there among the people. The worthy remember its major tenets, and the unworthy remember the minor ones. So the way of Wen and Wu is nowhere not to be found. Where could not the master learn from? Yet, what a regular teacher did he have? The master said, Extreme is my decline. I have not dreamed of the Duke of Zhou for a long time. The master said, The Zhou sits on top of two previous dynasties. How rich and well developed is their civilization. I follow the Zhou. The master said, I could describe the rituals of the Xia dynasty, but the state of Qi cannot sufficiently attest to my words. I could describe the rituals of Yin dynasty, but the state of Song cannot sufficiently attest to my words. This is because these states have inadequate records and worthies. If those were sufficient, I could adduce them in support of my words. The master said, the Yin dynasty followed the rituals of the Xia, and wherein it took from or added to them may be known. The Zhou dynasty followed the rituals of the Yin, and wherein it took from or added to them may be known. Should there be a successor of the Zhou, even if it happens a hundred generations from now, its affairs may be known. In the first two quotes, Confucius and his students indicated the origin of Confucius' learning. It is the way of Wen and Wu and the teaching of Duke of Zhou. These three mentioned fingers, King Wen, who is the father of the other two, King Wu, the elder brother, and the Duke of Zhou, are three most important founding fathers of the Zhou dynasty. Among the three, Duke of Zhou's role is the most significant since Confucius dreamed him all the time. And the last three quotes speak to the three major reasons why Confucius took the ritual system of Zhou as his primary masterpiece to learn and teach. First, the ritual system of Zhou dynasty synthesized the previous ones, and thus represented the gist of ancient Chinese civilization in Confucius' time. 
Second, previous ritual systems are too remote to corroborate and study in details, but the Zhou rituals are well preserved in the state of Lu, which is the home state of Confucius, and also where the offspring of Duke of Zhou were enfaithed. Third, the ritual system of Zhou dynasty represents the principles of human civilization that Confucius believes are eternal and everlasting, so that any future generations, as long as they aspire to a sustainable civilization, still need to learn them. Since Duke of Zhou was so important for Confucius' learning, in the remaining part of this unit, we will focus upon his personality, deeds, and his accomplishment in making rituals and composing music to eventually lead to Confucius' admiration. As indicated by the required readings regarding the personality and the political accomplishments of Duke of Zhou, there were several major points to be honored by Confucius and later Ru scholars. First, he helped his father, King Wen, and his brother, King Wu, to overthrow the last king in Shang Dynasty and justify the conquest using a very new political theory. The legitimacy of rulership consists in the virtues of the rulers, which are confirmed by the support of the people. If a ruler succeeds to be virtuous and earn the support of their people, they will have the mandate of heaven and thus be legitimate to govern. Second, he helped his brother King Wu to govern the newly established state. In a crucial situation, he even would like to sacrifice his own life to secure his brother's health. Also, in light of his assistant to his father King Wen, Duke of Zhou represented the cherished family virtues such as fidelity and brotherly love in quite an eminent way. Third, when King Wu died, his son King Cheng was too young, and thus Duke Zhou had to act as a regent. On the one hand, he was the teacher of King Cheng so as to prepare his enthronement. On the other hand, when King Cheng was mature enough, Duke Zhou fulfilled his promise and resigned from his regency. In this part of his story, Duke Zhou was an uncle a teacher and a supreme governor, and he performed superbly in all of these three roles. Most importantly, his attitude towards political power earned much kudos from later Ru scholars. Firstly, he was not obsessed with political power. When time is right, he would step down and yield to King Cheng as a subject. Secondly, his ultimate goal was to teach King Cheng to be a good ruler during the time of his regency. And this ideal of being an educator to political leaders quite fits the self-identity of later Ru scholars. Fourth, Duke of Zhou suppressed the rebellion in the eastern part of the country, punished its wicked leaders, appointed new leaders, and laid out a series of rules of government to stabilize the new dynasty. In human history, I believe as long as any political finger succeeded to achieve similar deeds, they would be put on a pedestal to be memorized by later generations. However, the most important accomplishment of Duke of Zhou, from a Ruist perspective, still surpassed the areas of self-cultivation, family regulation, and governance. That took place in the form that Duke of Zhou established a whole system of rituals to reconstruct the entire Zhou civilization. This historical event was normally named by historians as, quote, Duke of Zhou made rituals and composed music, quote, According to Wang Guowei, 
a prominent sinologist, there are three major breakthroughs that Duke Zhou has made in this historic event. Firstly, he established the institution that kinship must be passed down to the eldest son in the royal family. Secondly, he reorganized the system of sacrificial rituals to one's ancestors so that the relationship among different generations and branches of extensive family is ordered. Thirdly, he prohibited marriage within a family of the same surname. All these three major points of the Zhou ritual system are extremely important because the Zhou dynasty is a feudal society and the king appointed the local political leaders according to their merits and their closeness of pedigree to the royal family. So, an elaborated family ethic to distinguish the duty and the role of varying family members is crucial to the well-functioning of the entire political system. On the other hand, Duke of Zhou designed other aspects of the ritual system, such as about how to recruit able people to fill the government posts, how to distinguish offices, and how to hold many civil and religious ceremonies, etc. Underlying all these concrete ritual arrangements of the newly established dynasty, there are several major principles that Confucius admired and believed can guide human civilization for future generations. Firstly, the purpose of ritual performance is to cultivate people's virtues so as to bring order to society. Although the blessing of deities and the divine power of heaven were thought of as important, Duke of Zhou prioritized the role of humans in securing the blessing. In other words, in order to earn the divine support, humans needed to primarily dedicate themselves to cultivating virtues through performing rituals. This spirit of humanism was continually developed in later Ruist thought. Secondly, each human needs to fulfill their duty required by their role in a specific human relationship, and this role ethics, so to speak, was thought of as the foundation of individual well-being, social order, and good government. In a more concrete term, this second principle consists of the following aspects. First, qin qin, that is to treat your family as your most close and important human fellows. Second, zhang zhang, that is within a family, the order of seniority is respected. Third, nan nu you bie, that is men and women are different. Marriage should not happen within the same family, and the right of couple upon the management of their household must be fully respected. Fourth, xian xian, that is to respect people of good education and moral excellence. Accordingly, a key principle of good governance is meritocracy, which implies that a good leader must appoint the right people in the right positions. On top of all of these ritual principles and initiatives, Duke of Zhou also composed poems, lyrics, and music, and utilized these arts to educate the people of all these important ethical and political principles. In a word, Duke of Zhou has cultivated great virtues, governed his country well, and more importantly made rituals and composed music to lay a foundation for sustainable human civilization. Because of this, he was treated by Confucius as the most significant founding father of Zhou civilization and became Confucius' teacher secondary to none.
Thank you for listening to Rue, a podcast of global Confucianism. If you enjoyed today's program, please consider subscribing to this podcast. If you would like to learn more about Ruism, please follow the link to Dr. Song's website included in the show notes. Opening music, Tada, by Siddhartha Corsis. Closing music, Endless Forms Most Beautiful, by Siddhartha Corsis. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to you tuning in again next time.